All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr. and Mike Golik Sr. here. We got a great show for you guys today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out here live when you can, Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on DraftKingsNetwork.com, the YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, and more. Fun one today, we got a little game of extend, tag, or cut as we are now in it. Uh, getting ready to load up for the NFL tag season that starts this afternoon. We're also going to talk a little NASCAR, swapping some paint with our buddy Jay Arnold, uh, former Texas A&M D lineman who's doing a great job also covering a little bit of NASCAR over at ApolloHue.com. But, uh, Dad, the association continues to roll, despite there not being any games until Thursday, coming off the All-Star weekend that we just had and was hotly debated. We did have a little bit of action coming off the weekend as the Brooklyn Nets decided to fire their head coach, Jock Vaughn. Uh, Jock Vaughn, the former NBA guard himself, who had taken over after the Steve Nash era, an era I use very generously there, in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, was 21 and 33 this season, 11th in the Eastern Conference, and now will be replaced by the interim head coach and former national champion at UConn, Kevin Ollie, uh, taking over here now. So, Dad, I, I'm wondering how we were even supposed to grade 
this tenure for Jacques Vaughn coming off of this failed experiment that Brooklyn went through with Kyrie Irving, with Kevin Durant, with James Harden, that they were dealing with the ripple effects of even after going into this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, he's a guy that, uh, what, he was in Orlando, Jacques Vaughn, coach there, was 58 and 158 in his time there. Remember, he after Kenny Atkinson got fired before, you know, the COVID and the bubble situation, Vaughn was the coach of the Nets then, was 7-3, and three, taking them in to remember the bubble at Disney. They made the playoffs then, and then Nash was hired after that, and now again Vaughn takes over. Uh, as Nash uh, uh, was gone and and Vaughn had been the head coach of this team. I I think, Mike, at this point, you fall into the bottom 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency. You say you have a player, Mikael Bridges, who you're going to build around. You're going to have a lot of cap space. So I think the thought was just kind of start fresh now. Why you make the move now? Everybody has their, their reasons. We always wonder about reasons when a coach is fired during a season, no matter what the sport is, you say, are you going to be any better with somebody else as a coach? Are they going to be able to turn that around? They certainly, you you rarely see it with one of what's considered the better teams. And we saw that with the Bucks in Milwaukee, bringing Doc Rivers in because their defense was so bad. And quite honestly, it hadn't gone all that well uh, since they brought him in. So I'm not sure of, of why. I, I'm sure that we'll we'll find out more and more about this. As to why was there was there things going on in the locker room of why to make a break right now when you're because you know the moves are going to come down the road with cap space and 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 expiring contracts and what they're going to build around but we know it's one of the greatest failed experiments of all time in this era of super teams of what they tried to bring together and just how awful uh, it turned out so Vaughn you know is on the the bad side of that gets cut out of it. And they move on. Again, why in the regular season? Don't know. You got that break now. Games don't start again until Thursday. I think they start off with Toronto once we get going. They're not going to be a threat this year. I don't know how much better they're going to be. It's all going to be about positioning going forward. One of the things we do talk about when you fire a head coach, even though uh, Kevin Ollie is the interim, you can be looking for a head coach then. Uh, you know, it, normally you can't. If you obviously, if you have a head coach, you can't look for another head coach here. They don't. So maybe that's part of it as well. But I'm always interested in in all the reasons why you do this. Basically, it's not even midseason; it's after midseason. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to be signaling, right? For the reasons you mentioned, if you're a team that thinks you might be well positioned to go land somebody, and when you hear the murmurs around the locker room, I saw Ian Begley, who does a great job covering the team, mentioned that there were people inside this building that thought, all right, a coach who had kind of seemed to lose the locker room might be an impediment to some of those free agents starting to want to come over here. And Brooklyn's kind of been through this cycle before, Dad, where uh, this is no shade to Mikel Bridges, who's a strong and solid player, who is someone who's beloved during his time in Phoenix, but we don't necessarily think of in the same caliber as the stars that Brooklyn mortgaged their future to get. And they had gone through this period in the lead up to Kyrie and Kevin and company where they had gone homegrown team. They had built them into a back end playoff team. Remember before we had the play in tournament, they were making the postseason as a seventh seed, as an eighth seed. They were a, a group that was built up and then harvested for this attempt at something greater that went famously wrong. And so Sean Marks, who's at the helm of this, who's now fired his third head coach in his eight years at GM 
certainly has the capability we've seen to go and build this back up. But with Ben Simmons and Mikel Bridges as the guy at the core of this conversation, you don't feel quite as good about it already. And so if on top of that, you got a coach that there doesn't seem to be a lot of confidence in, maybe that affects what they believe is their ability to go and secure outside help going forward. I I think that's a, a huge part of it is who's going to go there now, you know, can, how much money can you throw at somebody? Well, when you're talking about the top players, there's a limit to what you can throw at them. It's a lot of money. But if you're one of those players, you saw the Nets try and build this super team and how bad it failed. So I'm sure if you're one of those players that's going to get those max deals, why would you go? I'm sure the thought process is, why am I going to go there? They've tried this and they failed at it. So what type of players can you get? What type of players can you attract? I think that's going to be a real problem for them because they did. They they had this super team. They had this team that everybody expected to compete in the East, and it was a it was an abject failure of epic proportions to go down as one of the the worst of all time. So to think that there's going to be a big time free agent out there or that they can try and lure to the Nets, I don't know. I don't know, because you look at the other teams of what Boston is, what the 76ers are, though we'll see in the next year or two with Embiid where that's going, how Cleveland has risen up there, where Milwaukee goes from here. It just doesn't seem like you say, yeah, Brooklyn's going to be on the rise. We don't see any reason of why they're going to be on the rise, and one of the big reasons is are you going to be able to track those type of players? Yep, so going to be very interesting here. Kevin Ollie's going to take home and see if they can kind of jumpstart him the back half of the season and make the Nets somewhat of maybe not a full-time destination like it was before or like was briefly, I should say, for a few years there post-pandemic, but uh, try and build it up to back closer to what you had before that, especially with a player like Mikel Bridges at, at the helm there. But, uh, Dad, you mentioned relative to the rest of the Eastern Conference here, as we start to look out towards the NBA's second half of the season, I thought it was really interesting as we have a couple of questions that I think are going to linger out towards this part of the year for the Milwaukee Bucks coming off of this weekend. Dame Lillard finally had a weekend that seemed like a Dame Lillard weekend. It had been a while since we had gotten what felt like vintage Dame. And we mentioned he'd become, what, just the eighth player to win All-Star MVP and one of the contests, the skill competitions in the weekend and the three-point contest that he won this year. It, It felt a little bit normal again for a player that had been brought over or really, I mean, forced over there was the whole back and forth this offseason about him wanting to get out to Miami him starting to actually put pressure on the Portland Trailblazers during the end of his time there and then ultimately the trade materializes to the Milwaukee Bucks and there was this expectation like all right we got Dame out of there he had always been the one that a lot of us had pointed to and wished for more and wanted for a better opportunity and an organization would do right by him and now that he's gotten here dad I don't want to say that the grass isn't always greener because there's still plenty of time we're only halfway into year one and we've seen plenty of star duos and trios take time to gel I mean go all the way back to the Miami heat of the big three era and how long that actually took to get meaningful traction but uh, have you been surprised by the way things have gone early here for Dame Lillard in the first half of his Bucks tenure well I mean we knew that what this top part of the Eastern Conference was you know being Boston Milwaukee uh, Philadelphia and we've seen what happened there I mean they're the, the only two teams in the last 10 games that, that have the, the two worst records uh, are, are at, the, at the top of the East are 
Milwaukee and Philadelphia, both three and seven in their last 10. And Philly has a reason. <laughs> Joel Embiid is out and going to continue to be out. And, and we'll see how far that team falls before he can come back. For Milwaukee, it's kind of scratch your head a little bit. You bring in Doc Rivers to kind of improve the defense. It hasn't been going all that well for them. Um, with Dame, I thought it interesting, you know, that that Shaq talked to, to Damian Lillard at the All-Star game and, and basically said to him, you know, I've been in the position you're in. You and Giannis are being too nice. You know, you, you have to either t- someone take charge, demand more out of your team. I remember this talk being in Miami when you had Bosch, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James. It was like, especially with LeBron and Dwayne Wade, who would defer to the other, right? It was Dwayne Wade's team. LeBron came in. So there was a thought, you guys are being too deferential to one another. LeBron's the man. or LeBron's the guy. You know, take charge. So, and in this case, it's these two, Dame and Giannis, is with the rest of the team. That was Shaq's point, is you got to demand this out of the other players. It has to be on you guys. You guys are this team, and you can't be too nice about this going into a new situation. There is a feeling out period. I get it. I understand that. But at some point, man, this is basketball, which a lot of these guys have played, obviously, their, a lot of their entire lives. So at some point, you have to say, okay, we're good enough to be better than what we are. We need to start showing it by whatever means. I thought the most interesting part of what Shaq said and the best reminder, and the thing I always had a question about when it came to how we would discuss Dame Lillard was Shaq said, if it goes wrong, they're going to blame three people. It's going to be Giannis, right. it's going to be Doc Rivers, and it's going to be you. And I do wonder how much people are going to be willing to blame Dame if it does go wrong this season there. Just because, Dad, we've always seemingly, as a basketball-watching public, been unwilling to be critical of Dame at a high level. And part of me is relieved by that. Like, we do way too much of this to way too many players where we rings them to death and we've changed the entire outlook of the NBA by making everything rings plus minus and it's affected the way guys view the regular season because we've told them that only one thing matters. And Dame has sort of been recused from all this as a player whose game we appreciated, who we largely left well enough alone in Portland, and who now is in a place that feels like it has higher stakes. But so far through the first half of the season, Dad, it doesn't seem like has necessarily drawn the same criticism that I thought was going to come his way the minute he left those safe confines of Portland's and went to a place like Milwaukee that especially with the recent pressure that Giannis put on that organization expects to win and expects to win right now. Yeah, listen, I, I do. I definitely think some is going to fall his way. It didn't in Portland because a lot of it was like, okay, what are you building around him? You know, you get close one sure. time, uh, uh, but, but for the most part, you know, you keep questioning man, you've got this great player. What are you building around him? So now he leaves, finally leaves. We, we applaud, you know, something we're, we're going to talk about Mike Trout later and his decision, you know, of wanting to stay with the, the Angels. We'll, we'll get to that. But applauding, you know, Dame staying with Portland, trying to get it done there, and then finally to this point telling the organization, listen, either stack what we got because if you rebuild, then, you know, we can go ahead and part ways and they chose to – as soon as they made a draft pick, that was kind of the signal that they were going to you know, be younger again, so time to move on. So now he goes to a team that's basically championship caliber, right, with the players that they have. You're one of the best players in the game, and Giannis, and you're on that team with other you know, key parts of that team that has been you know, near the top of the mountain there. 
So the expectation now grows higher that, okay, we threw you into this mix. Now you have a team around you. You, you know, you're not, you're not even Batman on this team, right? Giannis is Batman on this team. You're on an excellent team, and the expectation would be so much more. So certainly people, I think, would if they don't get anything done, will they look at Dame differently and say, well, you know, maybe he couldn't help lead a team to a championship. He didn't do it in Portland. You know, they didn't got there, and now got put on a really good team in Milwaukee. So how much falls on his plate if they don't achieve what they're trying to achieve? I also do wonder how much just natural sands of time where we go, all right, some of this could be Dame slowing down. He's obviously, because of everything you just mentioned, going to have fewer opportunities, right? It's the fourth fewest field goal attempts per game that he's had in a season this year, which is understandable given that there's only one ball. Like we always say, there's fewer shots going around, but right. shooting his second worst percentage from three in his career, uh, shooting his best, actually, or his, uh, excuse me, is shooting his fifth best from two this year, just over 50%, but it just looks like a slightly lesser version of Dame that can come with lesser volume, but also time catching up to you a little bit. It feels maybe like the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight that we got a little bit past everybody's prime that wasn't quite what people all wanted out of that. And so, I, I don't know, I'll just be very curious. I, I still think there's a chance when they get whole in the back half of this season and when Doc Rivers especially settles in because Remember, Doc Rivers was brought in to try and shore up the defense here. Offensively, they plummeted in the last 10 or so games before the All-Star yep. break, but defensively it started to make that turn. And so maybe things level set in the back half of the season for a team that had been offensively potent for a bunch of this year, and they get a little more comfortable in those roles. Because like you said, Dad, the, the LeBron James Miami Heat era is a perfect encapsulation of, hey, LeBron came in to what had been Wade County and was deferential in the final minutes of these games to a guy that was his friend, to a guy that had called that home, of not wanting to take over in those waning moments. And at some point, Dwayne Wade understood the game and went, hey, listen, you're the guy right now. We need this to happen. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case on this Bucks team in crunch time, but we've seen Giannis in the past and the championship team for them be deferential in final moments to Chris Middleton because he's a more versatile offensive player in terms of what he can afford you as an outside shooter and otherwise there. Maybe that starts to be the way that this slots out as we get a little more settled in the rotations that are going to be involved in the playoff run and on and on down the list. But I just think that's one of the most fascinating storylines for me down the stretch is how are we going to grade Dame Lillard in a season where he's finally associated with a team that's supposed to be a championship contender in the Eastern Conference? And Dad, the championship odds overall are fascinating to me right now. You go on DraftKings Sportsbook and the current futures as of... Uh, as of, uh, ooh, this is going back a little bit. Uh, yeah, Thursday in February. The current championship odds have the Boston Celtics as the championship favorites, followed by the Denver Nuggets, the LA Clippers, the Milwaukee Bucks at four, and then the Suns, the Knicks, the Timberwolves, and the Sixers before you get down to the Oklahoma City Thunder team that's been in either first yeah. or second in the West this entire time. Dan, I'm not saying they should be the favorites, but I'm fascinated by a place that's got SGA, who's a very real and likely MVP yeah. candidate on this team, Chet Holmgren, who's battling Victor Wembanyama for Rookie of the Year, even though we know he's technically not a rookie, and has been one of the only teams, it's them and the Boston Celtics, that are top five in offensive and defensive efficiency so far this season. I'm amazed that they're still available that low and for that much value here. Well, I, I think it's because so many teams are closer to them. You look at Boston in the East, they got a, they're, they're six games clear of the second-place team in Cleveland. 
you know, it's really Cleveland, Milwaukee, the Knicks, and the 76ers all within three and a half games of one another, you know, for the second slot, you know, further than that to get to the Celtics. So, and, and let's also remember that the All-Star break isn't the halfway point. They've played basically 55, 56 games. There's about 26 left. So we're, we're well past the halfway point. So catching Boston, I think, would be tough to do the way they're playing. But in the West, obviously, Minnesota is leading. But Oklahoma City's a game and a half back. These are the two teams that are down in, in what you just talked about with the odds. And the Clippers are just two back. The Nuggets are just three back. So it's a lot closer, I think, in the West where the thought is that those two teams, Minnesota and Oklahoma City, can be caught by a Clippers team, which is obviously very veteran leadership in the in the older players they have on there and playing very, very well. And obviously the defending champs in the Denver Nuggets getting their due as far as, you know, this is a team that's just three out of the top of the conference right now feeling like that they could make up that space pretty easily. I guess I get it, but like to be down, the 76ers don't have Joel Embiid. And if they get him back, he's going to be coming off two hurt knees this season. And we're still giving them that kind of deferential treatment in an East that's been largely dominated by the Boston Celtics this year. I don't know. That one just seems shocking to me. Seems like shallow value and worth the time. It's not the sexiest thing in the world to do, but man, what Sam Presti has done in a world post all of the stars that Oklahoma City has lost to go out and for years stockpile picks and turn them into this team that now seems to have a burgeoning superstar, another one on the way in Chet, and overall as a team that's locked in on both ends of the floors is pretty damn amazing. Would you, if you had to you know, spend a, a bit of money that you were uncomfortable with, would you pick the Clippers and the Nuggets to finish above Minnesota and Oklahoma City? Um, I don't know at this point. Genuinely, those teams have been so knotted up there, and we know the Clippers are so dependent on what's going to happen injury-wise for them. There's a lot that's factored in. The Denver Nuggets haven't quite looked like themselves. It's been an exciting year, and it's going to be an exciting second half, in air quotes, of the season as we get going on Thursday. Hey, Dad. What do you do when you're out with friends, the waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help? Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York.
All right, welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., and excited to bring in a friend to help us talk a little bit of racing here as we had Daytona 500 kick off the NASCAR Cup Series yesterday. A little bit of a rain delay that got us to that point, but it ends with William Byron and the number 24 Chevrolet car getting to take their spin through victory lane. And for more on that, Jay Arnold joins us now, former Texas A&M defensive lineman, fantastic internet friend at Coach Jay Arnold, also covering a little bit of racing at ApolloHugh.com. Jay, what's going on, brother? How you doing? I'm doing all right, fellas. I appreciate you having me on this morning. Obviously, it's a little bit of a different feel when you have a Monday race uh, for the Daytona 500, but you know, weather in the area, you, you got to make the best of what you have. You know, first off, how odd was that? Because they're used to, I mean, obviously they have lights there. They're used to kind of waiting it out. And it just seemed like they didn't want people there all day hanging around just to see if they were going to race and or maybe have to cancel it anyway. So did you find it odd that they pulled the rug out from this and just said, we'll wait till Monday? No, I mean, I think that's something that NASCAR has actually heard from the fans on where... Uh, that has been the case in the past where you kind of wait around and wait around and wait around and see if you're going to get the race in. And, you know, yesterday they kind of looked at the weather and and they didn't, or sorry, Sunday, they looked at the weather. They didn't really want to keep people on the hook. And uh, they've heard fan complaints in the past and they decided, Hey, we're going to call this thing early. We're going to go ahead and push it to Monday. And I, I think they did allow to uh, the fans to kind of make contingency plans. Uh, so it's something that they've kind of learned from in the past and, and, realize that, hey, maybe waiting till the last second isn't the best option for making sure that the the stands are packed uh, when the race does happen. So we got through the weather delay there and got to the race, and I was reading Ryan McGee does a great job over at ESPN, wrote a little cheat sheet going into it, and said, if you want to sound smart talking to your friends at the party about Daytona, just mention <laughs> the fact that you got to wait to those last 10 laps for all of a sudden some real racing to start, and usually the big one showing up there. Jay, I'm curious, for, for NASCAR novices, what is it about this track and this particular race that always seems to lead to some sort of big dust-up near the end of this race? Yeah, so you're running wide open for a lot of this race, uh, or you're kind of tempering the throttle. And either way, it, it lends itself to a pack style of racing. Uh, whereas other tracks, you can kind of get spread out. There's momentum, things that happen that that keep the cars from being bunched up. At Daytona, you're running in that pack, and uh, if you lose that pack, you're in trouble. Uh, so everybody's pushing their hardest to try to stay in the pack with each other. And, you know, you have a whole bunch of cars under a blanket, and it's easy, one bump, one uh, one bit of air catching a car the wrong way, and, and somebody overcorrects, and then you see what happens like it like it did with 10 laps to go, right? Uh, maybe somebody's just trying to squeeze in a hole that was there a second ago, and then all of a sudden that hole closes up. And uh, that's just kind of been the super speedway style of racing uh, for a while now. Uh, but it's... This this track, uh, Talladega and Atlanta to a lesser extent, uh, runs they, they run like these super speedway style uh, pack racing where the the big wreck happens because all the cars are under a blanket. Yeah, I think Atlanta's up next uh, on the circuit as well. Um, th this was you're right. I mean, th this got to nine laps to go. Joey Logano was on the pole, led the most laps he's ever led there. I think 41 laps he had led his previous was like 31. And there you have it. But he was, I think, like third when this crash happened. Nine laps ago, 23 cars just uh, just ping-ponging off one another. Luckily, nobody injured, but but a 15-minute kind of, you know, wait to get everything going again. 
And then explain to people at the end with just two laps to go, uh, Ross Chastain was trying to make a move to the front and he ends up getting spun out. And it's right as William Byron and, and I believe it was Alex Bowman were, were just getting to the last lap. So every, for those that may not know, they got the white flag, which meant the last lap right as the crash was going on. So technically, correct me if I'm wrong, finished under caution, but they just weren't sure who was leading when that crash happened to know who actually won the Daytona 500. Yeah, so uh, when once they take the white flag, the next flag ends the race, uh, whether that be the checkered flag or a caution flag, the yellow flag, uh, to signal danger on the track. Uh, and yeah, coming through the tri-oval, passing the start-finish line, Ross Chastain, Austin Sendrick get together, uh, spin through the infield, and the caution flag comes out. So NASCAR has to go and look at the timing loops, see exactly when the caution was thrown, and see who was ahead uh, at the time of caution. And it was a tight deal because uh, Alex Bowman had a huge run on the outside. So NASCAR has to go back and look at exactly what moment that yellow light starts blinking. And I think they posted an image on their official account uh, showing that William Byron was just narrowly ahead of his Hendrick Motorsports teammate, Alex Bowman, at the moment of caution. But yeah, that's uh, a recurring theme at Daytona, right? You, you have these these drivers pushing and and shoving coming to the white flag and, and to the checker. It, it tends to end under caution quite a bit. I know it's a little um, yeah. bit of frustration for the fans, but I mean, that's again, a product of the, the style of racing at Daytona. You mentioned the one, two for Hendrick motorsports, their first 500 winner since Dale Earnhardt jr. Back in 2014. How big is this for them to have this back again at this race on a big anniversary for that crew as well? Yeah, like you mentioned, the 40th anniversary for this team. Uh, they've been around for uh, a long time now and, and been a big factor in the sport. But it, it's huge for this team. And, you know, we always tell people uh, watching NASCAR, it's it's kind of weird, but we have our Super Bowl. Our, our biggest moment of the year often tends to be uh, the Daytona 500. I mean, it's just a, a huge event. Uh, it's NASCAR's version of the Indy 500 where... You know, all the stars are out and and everybody wants to win this race. It is really the crown jewel of the schedule. And uh, for Hendrick Motorsports, obviously, like you said, haven't won this race since 2014, have been really wanting to get back into victory lane. And so for William Byron to do it in that 24, that iconic 24 uh, that, that has won so many races uh, for Rick Hendrick, uh, it's definitely a, a big deal. Uh, for the team and it just kind of sets the tone for the rest of the season right once you win a race you're also locked into the playoff uh, so for William Byron that's another big thing that they can go ahead and start focusing on the postseason obviously you're going to try to win as many races as you can throughout the year but locking yourself into the playoffs in the first race of the season is a major deal so you said this is NASCAR Super Bowl would you say in college football terms then since like us your former college football player would this be NASCAR's Duke's Mayo Bowl a game that's both near and dear to our hearts <laughs> I think so ah. right and and with the Duke's Mayo Bowl being in Charlotte and uh, Charlotte being the home of most of these NASCAR teams it's just a perfect uh perfect bit of synergy there isn't it uh but yeah it's for it's, anyone uh, unfamiliar Jay Arnold was the one millionth fan at the Duke's Mayo Bowl and two years ago you likely saw him in the crowd with a large wooden spoon eating directly out of the gallon jar of mayo has that followed you Jay the same way that the mayo has followed me off this game where now you're everyone's mayo guy oh it's it's 100 percent. Any, anytime I show up to a party I'm expected to just have uh Duke's Mayo oh. with me at all times <laughs> <laughs> I mean could 
W- yeah, would you do oh, party yeah. tricks with that, or were you one and done on that? Well, I, I tried to get him to let me do a mayo shoey, but they said that may be a little bit too much for the uh, the cameras uh, on national television. So maybe maybe we'll work that in at a, at a future date at some point. Listen, man, the gauntlet got thrown down by the Pop-Tart Bowl this year. They ate a giant human Pop-Tart, so I feel like a mayo shoey has to be back on the table now as we get into <laughs> the bowl game wars uh, in the world ahead. Jay, we appreciate the time and uh, all the help on this. We'll have to have you back talk some college football at some point in the, in the near future here. But again, everyone at Coach Jay Arnold on Twitter, a great follow there, one of the best there is. And you can check out some of his coverage on there digitally as well as written over at ApolloHugh.com. Jay, appreciate the time, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. And, and you know what, what Dad, he I said say, is true, yeah. Mike, because I love watching the, the Daytona 500, but what he said, you know, when, when, it, when it ends – you know, when they're actually not racing. I mean, that that's that's when you watch. You know, it, it's those last 10 laps, and that's exactly what what you, you kind of get used to at Daytona, what we saw with nine to go. It was a, obviously a monster crash, as we mentioned, 23 cars. But, you know, you just you kind of hate when it ends on a caution instead of ending on actual racing. Yep, even if it is expected given this particular track, like Jay yeah. said, I'm with you. There is always something anticlimactic about that, but the action that comes in the lead up with that when you got that many cars battling it out, swapping paint, usually worth the price of admission. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Dad, as we've mentioned on the show here already this week, it is Tuesday, and today is the day where the franchise tag window is going to open for NFL teams. It runs through the start of the new league year in March and gives these teams an opportunity to put the franchise tag or the transition tag on some of their star players that are going to be up for new contracts. And one of the interesting names that's popped up into this is Mike Evans, who's on the older end for receivers, but has still been insanely productive coming off, as we've all said ad nauseum, his 10th straight 1,000-yard season. He's a guy that has been a, will be a future Hall of Famer, probably a Buccaneers Ring of Honor guy, being there through so many different iterations of that franchise. And now, is in a pretty interesting point in his free agency journey, Jad. I saw Jordan Schultz yesterday reporting that the Bucs had had a soft deadline to get an extension done with Mike Evans, but both sides remain pretty far apart. 
And because the deal didn't get done yesterday, Tampa Bay is now going to take on an extra almost $7.5 million in dead money on that contract, but that things seem to be trending towards free agency. So at this point with how old Mike Evans is, how much interest do you expect him to draw from outside teams uh, for this free agent period? Well, I think he's going to draw some interest, especially for contending teams, but not on a long deal. And I don't know what kind of deal they, I know they've been trying to get a deal done in Tampa Bay. I'm sure Mike Evans wants a lot of money and Tampa Bay doesn't want to pay a lot of money. We know how these go. So it was interesting that Antoine Winfield, Baker Mayfield, and Mike Evans deals all voided on Monday, which no matter what happens, it's going to be over $14 million in dead money that they're going to have to pay no matter what, no matter if they re-sign these guys or not of what they have to pay. But nothing was done on Monday as far as extending, and they would, would have liked to have done that with Evans. All it, it, We say this every year, Mike, what, what does Mike Evans want, right? What, what does he want? So, you know, you, you have a, you know, when Brady was there, you got a Super Bowl. He's been considered one of the top wide receivers. He's always over 1,000 yards. So where is he in his career? He's been around a long time. Is he fine in Tampa Bay because he's achieved about everything you can achieve? Does he want more as well? So if you do, you know, I'm sure there'll be contending teams that will go after him, but probably not with long-term big-time deals because he has been in the league for a while. So it comes down again to geography, want, where you want to be, how you want to end your career. And that's obviously we don't we know Mike Evans, but we don't know Mike Evans and what's going to be on his mind there in, in what he wants to do. And Mike Evans, again, that franchise tag would be pretty steep for him. Uh, it would be $28.4 million if they were going to put him on that. So probably not the kind of money you're going to spend on no. a receiver uh, at that point in time. DraftKings Sportsbook still has the best odds for him as returning to the uh, to the Tampa Bay Bucks at minus one sixty five. The Bears are the next closest at plus six fifty. But Dad, I think most people, and this is kind of how it goes when you're the dynasty, and there's also a very clear need. Is a lot of people look down at the Chiefs at plus fourteen hundred in the odds and go, all right. For every wide receiver conversation that gets had this offseason, Kansas City's going to be at the top of the list because there's no doubt a player like Mike Evans would be a huge benefit for that team, Dad, where they got through Rasheed Rice, mimicked a number one for them this year. Him and Travis Kelsey sort of alternated in that role, but he's not the same take-the-top-off-go-ball-style deep-threat wide right. receiver that Mike Evans has been for his entire career. And while the Chiefs were able to supplement that with what they did, how they structured their offense, playing it a little closer to the vest, we've seen that on their best day with the best Mahomes offenses, you had a deep-threat in Tyreek Hill, who's a very different kind of player than Mike Evans. But, Dad, I'd imagine as the Chiefs have shrunk this, have become a team that was a rushing team that needed more people down in the box, man, having that deep option back on their team and someone they could consistently rely on down the field would be a pretty huge boom for them. It's just a question, and I'm curious for you, would you rather go this route if you're Kansas City, or would you rather try and build through the draft at this position? Well, I mean, you you, you did well with Rasheed Rice, right? So you got a young guy there. Pacheco is still young in the backfield, whether running or, or catching a pass. Uh, obviously, Kelsey's getting up there. I, I think it depends on what you can get him for. Again, we talk about Chicago. Why? I don't want to mean this in a bad way, but when you're coming closer to the end of your career, unless it's being money whipped, which I don't know if it would be, why would you go to Chicago? Chicago's not on the verge of winning anything. I mean, when you're in the position Mike Evans is in, uh, uh, 
unless the money is so different that you just can't turn it down, I don't know why you wouldn't stay where you are, where your team won the division last year, or go to a team closer to contending. Uh, and if you're the Chiefs, listen, uh, you got to decide. Chris Jones, we talk about the the franchise there. It's like $32 million. You're not doing that. Are you, are you, are you tagging Legereus Sneed, which will cost you less, maybe eighteen to $20 mil, or are you doing a deal there? you got some money situations to work out. So I don't see Evans with a long contract. I think it would be shorter, but how much would it be? So if I'm the Chiefs, I would definitely look into that. Without doubt, you're you're going for a three-peat. You keep doing what you got to do because I, I don't I don't think it's going to be a ton of money. I'm I'm not sure what the money is going to be like for Evans because he's been around for a while, even though incredibly productive. I hope he gets paid. I hope he makes a lot, but I'll be interested in how long that deal would be. It is fascinating. You mentioned the motivations behind this. I feel like we're going to learn a lot about everybody in this process of Mike Evans' decision because if he decides to come back to the Buccaneers, sort of a feather in the cap of, hey, I believe that Baker Mayfield and this team can actually be capable of winning something meaningful around here or... Yeah, I've already won a ring. This is home. I don't want to have to uproot my whole life, and so I'm going to stick around with something closer. The Bears that you mentioned would be like investing in a startup because there is part of you that looks at the Bears situation and goes, all right, DJ Moore there. You had another weapon on the outside. Offensive line started coming together. Post-Montez sweat acquisition, defensive front looked a little bit more sturdy. And oh, by the way, if you threw a Caleb Williams in on top of that, maybe you can get some of that magic that we got in Houston last year where all of a sudden you're a little bit more competitive early on because you had some of these underlying factors that bled into this. Or behind door number three, if you take a little bit less money and go to the Chiefs, because I'm with you. The priority for Kansas City should be, hey, try and bring back Jones if at all possible because at this point, the value he brings on that team cannot be overstated. What he's meant as a postseason door slammer for them as a clutch performer has been huge, and it is so rare to find quality defensive tackle production, especially in this current iteration of the league. And so that, to me, would supersede wide receiver where, hey, listen, man, in the draft, you're hanging around at the end of the draft. I've seen enough mock drafts now, mock A.D. Mitchell, who a guy we've talked about wide receiver coming out of texas to kansas city if that happens we are going to get a whole bunch of jesse from breaking bad they can't keep getting away from this memes dropped around the draft because it would be an insane level of fit for a guy that's an incredibly physical incredibly productive fast receiver that could mimic that same role so i feel like they could supplement there where the priority should be hey if we got any way of making chris jones sound right after his drunken admission at the parade that he wants to be back in kansas city and he's not going anywhere yeah. that's got to be the priority but man if mike evans decided hey i'll take a little bit of a discount because i really think we could go back to back to back in kansas city this year and i could be a big part of that that would also be telling about how people around the league view the Chiefs at this point yeah w- without question and, and that's again what I always say we don't know we don't know the motivation of Mike Evans of what's out there and he wanted to be a free agent so I'm, that obviously means he wants to listen you know who wants me and what are they offering so if, if it's money great and, and there's no wrong answer right there's no wrong answer for a player when you're in free agency that's the beauty of free agency you're free to move for whatever your reasons are. So whatever his reasons are, he can check them out because there will be suitors. I just don't know, like I said, if they're going to be coming with long. He's 30 years old. He played 10 years in the league. Um, had some some injury situ- situations. But I'd love him on my team. 
I'd absolutely love him on my team. So I would like to know, and I and we'll find out what his motivation is to be an un, un, unrestricted free agent. A hundred percent. I do think overall the conversation we had around Kansas City, it's got to be Chris Jones, Legereus Need first. They've drafted to yes. be able to replace Need if it comes down to that, and then you worry about this because you have shown an ability to go out here and draft well, to win in the margins, and to put pieces around. The guy in 15 that makes the way you deal with offensive priorities and the way everyone else should deal with offensive priorities, very different. But coming up next, we got priorities heading into the NFL draft. Usually there's all these events that you have to be a part of. We'll get to why one agency is actually telling their players not to participate in this one pre-draft process. Next on Gojo and Golan. Welcome back to Gojo and Golick, Mike Golick Jr., Mike Golick Sr. And by the way, Dad, want to welcome in everybody uh, that's going to be listening to the show now on VSIN, Vegas Stats and Information Network. We joined the radio lineup as of yesterday there. We're going to be 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern every day for an hour, the best of our show. So back at home, being on the radio feels right again. Feels yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to that, expanding uh, more out there, getting some more reach on the radio for us. But yeah, this is a... It's, uh, it feels good to be back on the radio again. Uh, I'm uh, always, always happy to be on the, those airways as people are we're doing whatever they're doing in their car, driving around, watching what, whatever they're doing. We're, uh, we're, we're happy to be there serving. Yeah, we're happy to be everywhere that everybody's at, but VEASAN's obviously got a great lineup of you know people that we've gotten to work with already. Michael Lombardi, Storm and Bonnie, Stormy Bon and Tony, so many of the people around here that we got to work and see out in person in Vegas at Super Bowl week yep. that we're now going to be alongside in this lineup. Uh, you know What Brent's built over there has been nothing short of extraordinary, so pumped to be a part of that. Yet another place that you can catch us, again, noon to 1 Eastern, be an hour best of Gojo and Golik on VEASAN wherever uh, that is carried on radio. And Dad, you'll be hearing a lot about the NFL draft by us on there in the lead up to this coming up. And we're getting towards combine season now. We're very close. Everyone making the pilgrimage out to Indianapolis to go through the process that usually involves a number of things. The medical evaluation that's so huge, obviously the on-field testing is all these organizations are trying to get a ton of information on guys that coming through college football at times can feel like they play wildly different sports and different offenses, different levels of the sport, different competition, where the scheduling is so uneasy. There's very little that's uniform about college football. And so these post-draft pro or postseason processes are about trying to acquire information that's got a baseline for everyone involved. That's why the Combine, the Senior Bowl, all these events are so prioritized by the decision makers in the NFL. But we've seen there have been some pushback on occasion, whether it's been the questions that have been asked at the Combine or things like the Wonderlick test years ago that have now gone by the wayside, right. these cognitive scoring devices that try and help measure things from the neck up, one of the hardest places to predict where a young player is going to wind up. And the Wonderlick recently gave, to, uh, gave way to something called the S2 test, uh, one of the pre-draft tests that had sort of replaced the Wonderlick and it scores and athletes first, one of the premier sports agencies out there that represents a number of players. But in this particular case, CJ Stroud from last year is actually telling its prospects not to participate in the S2 testing after what went on with CJ Stroud last year before the draft ad, where 
He scored low on this test. It was leaked before the draft in a clear attempt to help depress his stock a little bit and to try and indicate to people something about C.J. Stroud's ability to process that we know is wildly untrue given what we've seen from him as a football player. But this was the quote from Athletes First. After much internal discussion, the agents at Athletes First have directed our draft prospects to respectfully pass on participating in any cognitive or psychological testing during the pre-draft process. They mentioned AIQ, S2. We understand many of the teams use these tests and protocols as part of your prospective evaluation. However, our recent experience with these exams has been less than positive. Specifically, the fact that certain results and performance were leaked publicly last year demonstrates that there's truly no confidentiality with these tests and is not right for a player's intelligence, aptitude, or mental processing to be subject to public discussion or ridicule. Dad, do you agree with this decision? Oh, I, I listen, if they think it's right for their clients, then so be it. I, I'm Anybody who's listened to me for a while knows how I feel a bit about the combine. I, I get you need markers. I get you need a place where, you know, you have all the players that you want there to look to look over them. And if you're the NFL and teams and doctors and GMs, you could have the right to try and put them through anything you want. And you know what? The players on the other side have a right to not do it. And they decide whether that's going to hurt them or not. You know, me as a 10th rounder, you as undrafted, we were going to do everything we possibly could at a, at a combine or at a pro day that was asked of us. But for other players... You know, what What did this do to C.J. Stroud? I mean, did the, does this test – I scored a 36 on the Wonderlick, 36 out of 50. And what, did it get me to 10th round? I mean, I, so I don't know what good it serves, in all honesty. Uh, but, but what it is for teams, it's markers, where they put then all their information together. And I get it. So you can try and do whatever you want. But if a player or, like I said, a group, in this case athletes first, doesn't feel it's beneficial enough to their player, then they're saying, why do it? It's the same with anything else, why you may run a 40, why you may not run a 40, why you may do the bench, why you may not do the bench. A player has their reasons for not doing it, and you understand you have to look at the other side, is it going to hurt me if I don't do it, or am I a good enough player right to say, you got four years or three years or two years or whatever tape on me, go off of that. You know, you don't need me to see, or see, watch me run around a cone or, you know, see what my vert is to, to decide where I'm going to be drafted. So it's different players in these positions, as I've said all along. But, man, players, if you don't want to perform at the combine and certain things, don't. Don't. You know, as I said, there are plenty of players that are going to feel the need that they have to do that, get in front of the GMs and the coaches and do that. But man, if you feel that it's not worth it to you, then don't do it and don't give a damn what the NFL says about you not doing it. They'll try and say, oh, you got to do it. We're going to think. No, they're not. No, they're not. How much of that hurt CJ? You know, how much would it have, did the, what did he get? 18 out of 100? He scored on that? Really hurt him. I mean, really hurt him going number two in the draft and being offensive rookie of the year. And that could be the argument from the other side saying, hey, listen, for all the slander you thought C.J. Stroud endured, the difference between number one and number two is still there ego-wise, but he ended up as the number two pick in right. the draft still. So clearly the Houston Texans didn't think badly enough about this score to judge him negatively. Right. But Dad, I'm with you. As someone who was never in a position to turn down the opportunities to show my wares, right. I love it. It is my favorite thing in the pre-draft process when guys are like, oh, I don't have to play your little game. I'm good at football. 
Because so much of this pre-draft process has had these cottage industries pop up that want you to believe they are vital to your future success. And I do think it's going to be really interesting as we move into a new world of college football, it's becoming more and more professionalized, and we start to get more of the player tracking that potentially inundates its way into the sport the way it's gone in the NFL, and you have more information that you can glean from the on-field tape. How much of this is going to survive? We saw a little bit of that pop up in the pandemic in the different ways teams had to scout based on their access to prospects. And some of them did pretty well and might have been on the cutting edge of what's to come here now. And so it all points back to exactly what you're saying is, hey, you're going to be able to glean a lot of this from what I do on tape. And the in-person meetings and stuff are still going to matter. But I do appreciate. And this is great when an agency has these players back because, Dad, you also and I know. It's a lot harder to do this as a single player versus athletes first that's now providing this blanket for all of their clients saying, hey, no, we're making this decision as a group because unsurprisingly, when it happens to a high profile client of yours, specifically a quarterback, we see rule changes happen all the time. And here it's much the same sentiment. So I love when this stuff pops up because so much of this stuff ends up feeling a superfluous, but B in this case, it ends up being a net negative. We rarely see, all right, what team looked at the S2 score and said, oh, gee, Willikers, this is great. We're going to draft the dude, but we've already seen it like the Wonderlick score in early returns used to try and badmouth a player publicly yep. in the lead up to the most important job interview of his life. You know, this is like where we are with, with uh, players in college, now have NIL, now have the ability to transfer and play right away. It's good for the player. And that's what the player needs to think. What's best for me in going to the combine. What's going to work for me? You know, not not what's best for the league, but what's going to work for me. If you feel you need to do everything, then do everything. If you feel you don't, you're a quarterback and you don't want to throw because you're throwing to people you don't know, and that's the one thing I, I get sick of hearing from the analysts. Oh, he didn't want to throw at the combine. That's a red flag. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's a player that's knowing I can control this and I'll throw up my pro day to my receivers to routes we've worked on and I'm going to look a hell of a lot better. I, I the, the NFL and people around it can sit there and say this is going to hurt you. It's not. It is not going to hurt you. Don't let them talk you into anything that you don't want to do. And listen, like you said, there's a fine line for every player based on where you're at. And I'm not even saying this test arose from a place that was nefarious or negative in nature. The NFL is making a multi-million dollar investment in trying to gather as much information as possible. And they are chasing a ghost and trying to figure out how to measure the space between your ears. But the returns on this one, not great early. And so they're trying to dump it. And I say, go off, Kings. 